Let's pray one more time. Almighty, gracious God, we come now before Your Word. We humble ourselves before Your Word because we know in it is the Word of life. And God the Spirit, I ask that You would speak through Your Word tonight and You would ignite a fire in our hearts so that we would be the men and women who would go out and we would be Your hands and Your feet in Santa Maria, California, in Michigan, in Haiti, and in Japan, and in Syria, and around the world, Lord. Let us be those hands and feet that share the good news of Jesus Christ in a way that people cannot ignore. Lord, indeed, I pray that this evening, by the power in Your Word, You would bless us so that we would be a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Amen. Genesis chapters 1-11 to is the beginnings of history. In it, Moses is clarifying for us exactly how it is the world became the place it is today. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Genesis 12, then is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Because in it, we find the beginning of redemption. We find out how man's sin continually turns us away from our God in Genesis 1-11. And in Genesis 12, we find out the beginnings of what God does about it. The world is messed up at every level because of the sins of our parents and us. And then we find God's grace. We find God's work to bring about His kingdom's purposes through the attitudes and actions of His people. Through you and me. How do I know this? Look at the very first verses. Genesis 12, 1-2. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, I take this passage for numerous reasons, not least of which because of where it is in Scripture. I take this passage, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing as normative for all God's people. I take it that God blesses His people everywhere and everywhere so that we will be a blessing to those who are near us. Which is why it is absolutely useless to wish for the good old days. Because these are the only days we have. And as dark as these days may or may not be, they are the days that the Lord has given us to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. And this is exactly what Jesus Himself commands you and me in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Go and do likewise. You, my Christian brother and sister, mother and father, 
will be blessed insofar as you live your life as an opportunity to serve those nearest you. Insofar as you live to serve yourself and your own selfish desires, you will suffer loss. Now you may be saved, as Paul says, but only as one saved through fire. Tonight, we must learn to praise Jesus for opportunities to serve. We need to praise Jesus and be excited about opportunities to be blessed and then use that blessing to go and be a blessing to others. This is the truth that Paul emphasizes as he works through his very important introduction that we find in Romans chapter 1, 8-15. through Allow me to read it for us. Paul begins, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ through all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may mutually encouraged, be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unawares, brother, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, Paul sets up his explanation of the good news. As I've said, I'm calling this series the letter to Paul's letter to the Romans, but this is also the good news according to Paul. Paul is clarifying the good news to the people of Rome and to the people of Santa Maria, California, so that we can spread it. And while he is making his introduction, he also extends an olive branch to the Romans so that they will give him a hearing. He doesn't know very many of them. He has never been to Rome at this point. He didn't do any direct church planting. But he knows that nothing will open an audience's ears or close them so fast as their perception of your perception of them. (laughs) What do I mean by that? In other words, if the audience thinks that you value them, if the audience thinks that you believe that they are, in this case, servants of the High King, doing the will of the Kingdom of God, then they'll listen to you. If they think you're just a bunch of podunk hillbillies from, you know, Arkansas or something like that. If any of you are from Arkansas, I love Arkansas, by the way. (laughs) Just, Just so you know. Oklahoma's better because that's where my family's from. (laughs) But, in this case, Paul wants them to know, I am thankful for you guys. I praise Jesus for you guys because there's people all around the Mediterranean who are giving glory to God. They're proclaiming the fruit of your labors in Christ. 
Paul is thankful for the fact that God the Father, through God the Son, and by God the Spirit, is doing a work so that He is glorified, so that the Romans are rejoicing, and so that the kingdom of God is growing. And my friends, that is exactly why you and I must praise Jesus for opportunities to serve. Begin tonight. Praising Jesus for opportunities to serve. Begin tonight to thank God. Your, thank Him for the opportunities that He has already opened up for you. Thank God for the opportunities that He has given light for you to see so that you can go and be His hands and feet in making a difference there. So let's begin verse 8. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul says, to start things off, get things going here in Romans, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Now, a good place to begin when talking about the good news of God concerning His Son that we've been talking about the last two weeks is by thanking Him. And turning the attention to God instead of to us. And so he does that. He thanks God when he's talking to him about these people. But why is it that Paul thanks God here in verse 8? He, very clear. He says, it is because your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. Amen. Do you rejoice when a brother or sister in Christ has some victory or has some fruit because of their labor in Christ? Do you rejoice when you hear good news of Jesus working through people around you and around the world? You should. Because their victory is your victory. Their victory in Christ seeing the Lord working through them is also yours. Because you are serving the same king. And that's what Paul's saying. Woohoo! Praise Jesus! I am so glad that people are seeing that God is at work through you. But then it brings up another question Have you ever wondered why God demands that we praise him? Now, this, this is kind of a ticklish question. We see on, well, I suppose if you look, I don't look, but I can imagine some movie actress out there who's all bent out of shape because people didn't appreciate her dress well enough. Of course, when I see that, I think, man, that girl needs a therapist. Of course, I think all of them need therapists, but that's another point. If, if we get kind of a little weird about people demanding compliments, why is it that we don't get weird about God demanding compliments. Why, why is it we don't get weird about Him saying, commanding us, hallelujah, which means, y'all praise Yahweh. It's a command. Do it. Praise the Lord. But the point is different. Here, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Your, your deeds are going out and people are saying, praise Jesus, hallelujah, because of your faith is not the same as some diva who's begging compliments. Instead, God commands us to praise Him, to proclaim His good works through each other, because it's good for us. You know, God isn't 
on Facebook wondering how many likes he's going to get on his next post. God's ego is not stroked no matter what those guilt-laced memes that you see and maybe send out imply. Instead, praising the Lord, proclaiming the work He is doing in and through your brothers and sisters, glorifying God because of what He has done in you, or celebrating what you have seen in His Word is not about stroking God's wounded ego. It's all about us learning to appreciate that which is really good. And when we do that, when we can understand what He is doing in and through us and our brothers and sisters around the world, we celebrate. We are freed from so many things that bind us down and make us small. It is good for every heart that is willing to seek its good beyond the stuff, the circumstances, and the relationships that we spend so much of our energy chasing after. And you do this, you're able to do this as you get to know God better. How do you get to know God better? What does that mean? Well, first, certainly, by meeting Him in Scripture. By going to God's Word and meeting Him there. But you must also see Him working in the lives of others, which is exactly what this passage is all about. You see God. You get to know God as you see His people living their lives and growing over time, progressively becoming more and more like Jesus, which is what sanctification means. You get to know God as you see them doing this because their value of God is increasing because they're seeing Him work. They see a promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. They see that promise and they start walking in this way and they say, wow, God really is directing my path. They they see the work of God in others as they too are putting their trust in Him and not in cold cash. And their lives are freed. Their shoulders are lifted because they're not burdened by trying to chase Every dollar. They value God more because they know Him better and they therefore trust His promises and they love Him. And so, when, as they continue through this journey of life, trials happen because we know they will, they already know that He's going to come through. And they trust Him again and they're not all bent out of shape. You know, they're not wondering, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? Instead, they're saying, yes, this stinks. I don't like it. I may not know the future, but I know who holds the future. Amen? And my friends, it takes time. I want to remind you of that. It takes time. Don't kick yourself because you're not perfect at this because nobody right now is raising their hand saying that they're perfect at this. And there are people in this room that I respect as knowing God better than I do. What this 
does then mean, what it is is that those who see their friends and families exercising this kind of risk-taking faith begin to think to themselves, hmm, this person's life is different. This person is basing their worth. This person is basing their confidence on something other than what I have access to. I wonder, could this God come through for me as well? And you start living this kind of life. And you start saying things like my saying, praise Jesus. Or if you're in Fermat, louange pour Jésus. That was our translation of praise Jesus in Haitian. Um, yeah, Mark, you should have picked that up when you were there. Um, you start saying that and you start giving credit to him and people will notice. And then this risk-taking faith fuels proclaiming, which is just another word of praising God. These people are living this risk-taking faith and these people over here are seeing it and they're saying, wow, look at this. And then these people who are praising God then fuels this people's risk-taking faith. And then there's more people praising and there's more people taking risks and there's more people praising and it goes. Because that is how God works. If you begin to live in trust and you open your eyes, not only in God's Word, but in the people who live around you and you start to see what they are doing as risk-taking faith fueled, you will praise and you will be willing and able to take your own risks. Here's the payoff. How do people recognize God for the great God that He is? How do they see Him when we are so blinded by so many things in this world? When His people begin to live by faith in His promises. They will see. They will see and that is why you and I can praise Jesus for opportunities to serve. You and I can praise Jesus for opportunities to serve because those opportunities for us to serve are for opportunities for others to praise. Begin tonight. Pray for God to show you opportunities to serve those Jesus puts near you. And when you pray prayers for God's kingdom to grow instead of your own, he listens. We continue in verse 9 and 10. Paul says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. People who live like this need our prayers. Listen. The more grace you use, the more grace you will find you need. The more grace you use, the more you live by the grace and power of our God, the more you will find that you are in need of that grace. I make mention of that here because the people that we met in verse 8 were grace users. They were the people who were consciously dependent upon grace to live the lives of faith that others will notice well. And grace, as I have said these last months, grace is the power you need to accomplish kingdom purposes. Grace is the power you need to accomplish kingdom purposes. 
And in this case, the kingdom purposes are praising Jesus and giving opportunities for others to praise Jesus by trusting His promises. And Paul, based on these verses, is also a grace user. He is living consciously dependent upon God's power to accomplish kingdom purposes because if for no other reason than that which is here, Paul prays continually. Now we need to notice two things right away in verse 10. The first is Paul's request. The first I want to mention. Paul wants to visit the Romans. And Paul is already very thankful about what God is doing through his words in these people and spreading that word among those who know the Romans about their risk-taking faith. And Paul is sitting there in Ken Cray, and he's thinking to himself, man, those Romans are famous for being faith-fueled risk-takers. I bet I don't know half the story. I want to go see more of the story. I want to go find out what other risk-taking adventures that they are having. So I will be encouraged to take greater risk-taking faith-fueled risks. Say that five times fast. Now obviously the second thing to note here is what Paul says about praying continually. If you will take the challenge to pray continually, you will need grace. You will need power to accomplish the kingdom purpose of praying continually. What's that you say? You can't pray continually? Huh. Hmm. I wonder if the people who say, I can't pray continually, I wonder if those are the people who are actually depending on grace to power kingdom purposes in their lives, or if they're just, they don't want to take that risk. They don't want to take the risk of God enabling them to become the kind of people that are so weird that they fly all the way to Turkey to go pray with a bunch of missionaries for how many days do you go? Three or four days? That's risky. That's weird. You're going to spend your money going to Turkey to pray with people who need to be encouraged by you praying with them? Oh. What? You say? Praying continually isn't possible? Because you can't live your whole life on your knees with your eyes closed? Hmm. That sounds more to me like a caricature that Satan would put out there so that we would be deflected from what it is that God really wants us to do. I wonder, just curious, I wonder if the God who created the universe is big enough to have already thought through these things. And I wonder if the God who created the universe is big enough to have thought them through well enough to show us how we can in fact live like this. That may not be exactly how we're thinking about it. Instead, take a moment. Lord, Paul says he prays continually. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 commands me to pray continually. Will you show me, Lord, what that can look like? 
Would you show me, God, the Spirit, the first steps I need to take towards living that kind of life? What, whatever it will eventually look like, I'm, I'm not sure, Lord, but would you show me that? My friends, if you start praying prayers that are asking Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, your God will show up. But man, talk about needing prayer to accomplish kingdom purposes. What you need to find is the fresh God, the Spirit, moving wind of grace that is the only thing that will keep you long enough from coveting the stuff and the circumstances and the relationships that we're always going all around trying to catch, but we can never find enough. You need this fresh Spirit moving wind of grace so that you can pray kingdom-oriented requests that get heard at the throne of grace and get answered by its occupant. And it is because you want to breathe more of this air that you need to praise Jesus for opportunities to serve. Begin tonight. Ask God to show you what it would look like to pray more and pray more effectively. Perhaps you should go really loony and ask God the Spirit to enable you to do that. I mean, only if you want to be one of those strange Christians who travels around the world encouraging God's people by their prayers. Paul has not left his thought. Verse 11, he continues, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." Look, Paul wasn't interested in bringing a bag of gold to Rome. He was in the process of taking one to Jerusalem. And Paul didn't necessarily want a bag of gold from them, although he was going to ask them for some support as he continued west to Spain. The gifts that Paul had to give to Rome and that he needed from the Roman Christians were spiritual. Namely, if you ever want to know what the Bible means, look at the verses immediately around it. And in this case, Paul is very clear about the gifts that he is wanting and that he wants to give. And that is mutual encouragement. Because when Paul got there, everyone there would see the trust in the promises of God for them in Christ that they were living and the Roman Christians were living. And this Trust in God's promises by, would move them to make faith-fueled, radical risks for God's kingdom through changed attitudes and actions. Now, I want to mention this idea of strength. Because these gifts are providing strength, is what Paul is saying here. Now, sometimes 
what we need most is to have someone come and help us shoulder a burden. And when you get someone who has enough brawn, that's always an encouragement. I used to have more brawn than brain. Now I don't have much of either. But what is needed here on this arduous, difficult, dangerous journey of life is encouragement. And when we encourage each other, we are strengthened. Not to carry a heavy physical load, although sometimes we must do that. But to carry the load of encouraging one another to praise Jesus because they see the radical risks of faith that you are taking. The strength we need is spiritual. We need encouragement, which brings me back to gifts. In verse 13, Paul remind, again, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but have thus far been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul is going there intending to get some gifts. Now again, some of that may be the gold that he needs to go to Spain. Granted. But while physical gifts may be of tremendous spiritual encouragement, they are when a very particular question is asked and answered. Is this gift one based out of love for Christ? Because you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Is this gift motivated by love? Is it one that is seeking to honor Christ? Or is it some quid pro quo? I want you to think better of me because I'm so generous. Or I want my name on this plate over here because I gave $20 to this thing. The gift that Paul wants, make no mistake, he says, I want to reap some harvest among you. What he wants is the gift of God being praised because they're trusting him and his promises. And that is always exhibited by love. One step further than that. And this is, I'm picking on Dan quite a bit tonight. We'll see if he still loves me at the end of the meeting. But I want to, he goes every year for many years that I've known him. He's, he goes on this trip to Turkey. And he prays with the missionaries who are expats in these various circles ministering to Muslims. And a fair question could be asked. Well, God is in Santa Maria, California. Why can't you just pray right here, Dan and Paula and family? Why can't you just pray right here? God hears you, right? Well, there's something fundamental, I think, about Paul's desire to go to Rome. It's not the gold. 
Paul tells the Corinthians he's thankful that they're giving not because he needs the gold or that God needs to be enriched. It's because they are accruing wealth in heaven by giving of their earthly gold. It's not the gold. I haven't ever asked Dan, but I don't think he gets a whole lot of money for going to Turkey. What he gets instead is the person-to-person contact. And he hears the stories that they're telling about how God has worked through this person, how God has worked through that person. And I've heard some. I've heard some of these stories. And I'm, I'm kind of a third or fourth person down the road. And I hear these, I'm thinking, praise Jesus! Because there's, there's people who love Jesus in Damascus still. There's people in Cairo who love Jesus. And my faith is encouraged because last time I checked, it's a little easier to live as a Christian here in Santa Maria, California than it is in Cairo. Am I wrong? No. I didn't think so. And this, that encouragement, it's that strength that comes from hearing people praise Jesus because of what He is doing in His people around the world. And you can have this too. While you love those who love Jesus near you, you will be giving fertilizer, strength, to those around who need to be strengthened to do the same. You and I should love those who are around us so that people around us will give glory to God and that will spread around the world. Better than that, one day, 10,000 years from now, you'll be hearing people praising Jesus for what they did in some weird country you can't even pronounce. And you're you will glorify God because of what He has done through you and through those who are around you. Praise Jesus for opportunities to serve. Begin tonight. Ask God the Son to show you those who are near you who need your love. Ask Him, Lord, What would be an effective expression of love for this person that would be appropriate to our relationship? And you will find, and they will find, that these little tastes of love from many people will give those near you what they need to experience the power and the grace of God, the meal that they need to be strengthened on this journey called life. They will have that faith empowered and equipped. They will know and trust the promises of God for them in Christ. And Paul says in verse 14, he continues the thought. He says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And in our passage, once again, Paul ties this thought of serving and gifting and proclaiming to the glory of God with the thread of His people continually taking faith fueled risks. 
And they're mainly doing this by sacrificing their time and their talent and their treasures to build up those that Jesus has put near them. You can do the same. So Paul tells, declares his intention to do exactly that. He wants to go preach in Rome. Now, I want to give a caveat here because as I was preparing this sermon, as I was kind of digesting this in my own mind and heart, I was almost exclusively thinking about this gifting, this loving and this sacrificing within the church. Loving the people within the church. And as I was going, I got to this and I thought, oh wait, this is bigger than just the church. But I think part of what influenced me was Galatians 6.10 when Paul commands the Galatians. So then as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I don't want you to be misled by what I'm about to say. I'm adding non-believers to this, this gifting of love and taking risk-fueled or faith-fueled risks. I'm adding non-believers because they too are the ones who need to see your faith so that they will give glory to their Father in heaven as Matthew as Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5. But let us not forget that the good news, the gospel that Paul is talking about preaching to those who are in Rome is for believers. Because that is the foundation. That is the bedrock that you and I need to base our walk on today. No matter how many years you've been a Christian. Which brings me to this idea about disciple making disciples small groups. When we have established small groups in this church and new small groups have come up, I have always spoken to our leaders. I have three rules for small groups. If you follow these three rules, you can do almost anything else. And the first rule kind of taking them out of order because of how this is preaching. But the first rule is that there needs to be a plurality of leaders. In other words, the small group leader can't at the same time be the host of that small group because if they're hosting, they're going to be so busy doing the hospitality part, setting out chairs, making sure there's plates and forks and cups and those kinds of things, that they're not going to be able to do the preparation of leading the discussion about God's Word. And furthermore, and you can ask my wife about this, every rule I have about small groups is because I did something stupid and it didn't work. We had, a, we had a small group, our very first small group. Sometimes we had two people there. Sometimes we had three. And that was the two of us and maybe one other person. So having a host will make it so that more people will come and there'll be at least two people who really own this small group and they'll be inviting their own friends and family to come. But then the second rule about small groups is that a small group must continue with a balance of four things. Bible study, prayer, fellowship, and service outreach. Now fellowship, 
is the one I have to correct people on. Fellowship men is not talking about the Dodger game. It may start there sometimes, but it needs to move on towards taking faith-fueled risk. But then it also involves service outreach. A small group has to have this balance of service outreach because only when you are serving the body of Christ and only when you are reaching out to those who don't know Christ are you going to experience the blessing of Christ who wants to bless the people who are a blessing. Now the last rule is a willingness and ability to multiply. If you're interested, I would love to talk to you about that. But I mention this about small groups for at least two reasons. The first is, maybe God is asking you to start a small group. Yes, you. Right where you're at. Maybe God is asking you to start a small group. Call up one of your friends and say, hey, I got an idea. Do you want to make coffee and cookies once a week? I'll lead us through an alpha study. Yes, go online, look that up. I'll lead us through the discipleship books that Pastor Greg was trying to get us to use all summer long. Or you can just pick a book of the Bible and say, let's start reading. Because God the Spirit is powerful enough to work through you as well. And then this is what you do. You call up your friend. Hey, do you know how to make coffee? Yes. Okay, great. We're going to show up and you're going to invite your friends and I'm going to invite my friends, none of whom know Jesus, but they need to hear. And guess what? That's how whole, whole movements of Christ are started. By one or two people saying, let's get off our can and do something. There's at least one other reason why I mention this to you. I want you to see I want you to be the eyes through which others see that you and the body of Christ can be a blessing to believers and non-believers outside these four walls. The church is not a building. The church is us. And that is why you and I should praise Jesus for opportunities to serve. Begin tonight. Who near you needs to hear a proclamation of God's magnificent grace from you because you trust the promises of God for you in Christ? What service are you willing to render for that person so that they can see this glorious, gracious God who will never leave you or forsake you? When will you begin? Abraham, as we read, was blessed so that he could be a blessing to the world. God made him for us an example so that we can see why it is that God does for us those things that he does for us so that we can bless others. God will bless those who have used their blessings to make room for more to be blessed blessings. <laughs> Say that five times fast. How do I know this is true? 
Very last chapter in the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Close your eyes. Feel this. The angel showed me the river of the waters of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruits yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb of the Lamb will be in it. And listen, the servants will worship Him. We will see His face and His name will be on our foreheads. And night will be no more. There will be no need of a lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and we will reign with Him forever. My friends, I have emphasized tonight faith-fueled risk-taking. It's really not a risk because we know who wins. Praise Jesus for opportunities to serve because then it is that you and I are blessed so that we can be a blessing. Lord Almighty, bless us. You have done so already so many times. Continue to bless us so that those that You put near us, wherever that may be, bless us so that those You put near us will be blessed. And they will join us as we walk along the river of life and eat the fruit of the tree of life each month, the different fruit. And we celebrate the goodness for all eternity of what You have done through us and for us, for Your glory, for our joy, and for the growth of Your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen.